If you're not getting the right information from vendors, if you're not getting the right information about a vulnerability or a group of vulnerabilities, you might spend your resources elsewhere and that vulnerability that you didn't think was important becomes very important to you or you're spending all of your time and energy on something that maybe isn't really important and, and maybe you can hold off a little bit until the appropriate time to handle it. So not getting the right information to the decision makers or getting inaccurate or incomplete information to the decision makers just makes it that much harder for them to gauge the real risk to their enterprise, to their systems and networks. This is Lock and Code, a Malwarebytes podcast. I'm your host, David Reese. Our main story today is about security advisories, which are the notices that we rely on to learn about security vulnerabilities. More than two decades ago, back in the late 90s, Microsoft supported its operating system, Windows 98, with a tool called Windows Update. Windows Update was rather self-explanatory. It was a tool that, once installed, would regularly check for Windows patches released by Microsoft. But Windows Update had two big problems. One, it had to be installed by a user. So if a user was unaware of Windows Update, then they were also likely unaware of the patches that should be deployed to Windows. Two, Windows Update did not scale well because corporations that were running hundreds of instances of Windows had to install every update, and they had to uninstall any patches issued by Microsoft that may have broken existing functionality. Now, this may not have been an issue if systems administrators at the time knew when to prepare for updates, allocating resources and people hours on, say, a certain day of the month. But in 1998, that wasn't how it worked. So from the late 90s to the early 2000s, Microsoft standardized its patching process. Patches would be released on a certain day of the month the second Tuesday of each month. In 2003, Microsoft formalized this process and Patch Tuesday was set in stone. Around the same time, the United States National Infrastructure Advisory Council began researching a way to communicate the severity of discovered software vulnerabilities. What they came up with in 2005 was the Common Vulnerability Scoring System, or CVSS. CVSS is still used today. It actually has a release version, CVSS v3.1, and it is, at its heart, a formula that people use to assign a score from 1 to 10, 10 being the highest, to determine the severity of a vulnerability. I bring up these two examples not just because we're very likely to talk about them later, but because they are good examples of people trying to solve some of the problems around communicating vulnerabilities. You see, it isn't enough to find a vulnerability and fix it. End users who are responsible for applying those fixes benefit when they both know about the fix and they know why the fix is important. And that importance can be communicated with words, of course, like, hey, this patch does this. And it can be communicated by saying, this patch addresses this problem, which has a score of 10. 
But today, we're going to learn about what happens when things go wrong in this broader system of vulnerability, education, and assessment, because things have gone wrong in both how security advisories are written and shared, but also in how patches are developed. To help us understand what is happening here, we're speaking with Dustin Childs, Head of Threat Awareness at Trend Micro Zero Day Initiative, or ZDI. Dustin, welcome to the show. Uh, Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. We are excited to have you here, and let's get right into it. As I was saying at the beginning, there are some problems, but they are many from my understanding. Yes. And so before we like dive into any of those rabbit holes, securities advisories have become obscure or they've been put behind a paywall or our scoring system doesn't take certain things into account. I want to start a little backwards here and ask more broadly, okay, if there are problems, right? What are the consequences of unhelpful advisories? Well, the way I look at it is we're all the three unders. We're understaffed, we're underfunded, and we're under pressure. And therefore, our resources are really limited. So any misallocation of resources can increase risk. And a lot of what we do in IT, especially in security, is just handle risk. We're never going to really eliminate all risk, but we've got to take our limited resources and put them towards where the most risk to our systems are to try and defend them. If you're not getting the right information from vendors, if you're not getting the right information about a vulnerability or a group of vulnerabilities, you might spend your resources elsewhere and that vulnerability that you didn't think was important becomes very important to you or you're spending all of your time and energy on something that maybe isn't really important and and maybe you can hold off a little bit until the appropriate time to handle it. So not getting the right information to the decision makers or getting inaccurate or incomplete information to the decision makers just makes it that much harder for them to gauge the real risk to their enterprise, to their systems and networks. Is there like a boy who cried wolf problem here? And maybe it's not the intention of these security advisories being unhelpful, you know, with with that fable, I guess we'll call it, Um, you know, it's the boy is malicious. Right. But the, the end result is, again, well, now we just don't take things seriously. Is that, am I kind of understanding that? I definitely think that's part of the problem. Uh, there are definitely vendors who are out there saying that this is really serious. Sometimes they're right. Sometimes it's only serious in certain scenarios. But I, I think as much of it as anything else is fatigue. I don't know if you've noticed, but there's a second Tuesday in every month. So we have to deal with this problem over and over and over again. Microsoft has patched over 800 CVEs just this year alone. So trying to suss out which of those are really important is kind of hard to do when the communication isn't there. So I think it's fatigue as much as anything else. People are overwhelmed just with the number of patches that are available for all of their devices. And there seem to be more devices coming out every single day and they all have bugs and you have to patch them eventually. Moving into the problems themselves. And I've seen some of the things you've said and read it. Now is the time to dive into those rabbit holes. What is going wrong with security advisories? It's kind of a long list. So I I guess let's start at the top. Let's start with the advisories themselves. Over the years, Microsoft, as well as others, have uh, taken steps to almost obfuscate the problems. They've removed information or made it harder to find 
And a lot of times this is done in the name of automation. So they want you to communicate with an API rather than reading about these vulnerabilities. The net result is there's less information coming out about it. For example, Microsoft used to have an executive summary on all of their stuff, and it didn't contain a whole lot of information, but it was giving you at least a summary of the basic problem that they're trying to fix. They eliminated that now, and they talked. To, they said, well, now CVSS is all you'd really need. You just need the score. You don't need an executive summary. But that becomes really difficult when it's like, okay, this is an information disclosure problem. Am I leaking random memory from the kernel or am I leaking PII from a database? CVSS isn't going to tell me that. For a security feature bypass, CVSS doesn't tell me what feature is being bypassed or the likelihood of that occurring. So I don't know for this BitLocker thing. Is it BitLocker is pretty important to our corporation? Is this security feature bypass in BitLocker something we need to worry about? Or is the attack scenario too obscure for us to really roll out an emergency response. We can just handle this through our normal response process. That's part of the problem. And and you mentioned that there are companies that put their bulletins and their advisories behind paywalls. We even had one company tell us that they don't publish security advisories at all. They don't, they don't publish (laughs) security advisories. And and I thought that was an odd thing. Uh, But yeah, so that's kind of the problem that we're seeing where it's Vendors are doing less and less to communicate problems. And some vendors kind of have been known about for years where they didn't communicate a lot of stuff. Apple is notoriously bad for public communication of their security vulnerabilities. They've actually put out patches and just said details will come later and expect you to just apply the patch. I'd I'd kind of like to know what's in there to at least know how many CVEs are being addressed before I start rolling this out to mission critical systems. I want to know what I'm fixing. But they've actually gotten a little bit better over the last few years. Adobe now is actually one of the best, probably at like giving you some information. They tell you what the bugs are. They tell you what type of bugs it is. They credit people appropriately. Uh, So they actually do a pretty good job other than trying to find when exactly they release their updates because you just have to watch Twitter, which actually is another problem that we didn't even talk about in our Black Hat talk is Uh, System administrators these days have to monitor a bunch of different things just to know when patches are available. Some people announce it on Twitter. Some people have a standard release like Microsoft on Patch Tuesday. Some people update an RSS feed. Some people have email subscriptions that you have to go to. It's really hard to find a centralized location where it's like, okay, let me just sign up for these vendors and I get notified appropriately when patches come out. I'm not familiar with an open source or at least publicly free service that does that. Usually that's part of your patch management system that you have to pay extra for just to apply the patches that are being released most of the time for free, especially in the the internet control system the SCADA world, sometimes you have to pay for patches too. So that's a completely separate issue. But just the communications around patches has really become a big problem. And it's one of the things that I do monthly. One of the biggest, hardest things I have to do is count how many patches there are because I have to look at various resources. And then do I count this one or do I not count this one? And it's kind of an interesting problem to just count how many security patches came out on Patch Tuesday. Because you brought that up just right now, it feels like an unfair question, but it's so tantalizing. How many patches are there? <laughs> um, that's, a, that's an interesting question. For Microsoft <laughs> this year, it's over 800. For Adobe, it's a little less. I, I think uh, for Adobe, we're around over 300 for Adobe for 
Chrome, I don't know off the top of my head, but it's interesting. Chrome used to be considered a very bulletproof browser, and I still use it, but the number of Chrome bugs has been gradually increasing as everyone has shifted to Chrome. But yeah, and, and when do those updates come out? When they're ready, I suppose. <laughs> uh, different yeah. vendors do it different ways. They don't do a lot of interop testing. They don't do a lot of third-party code testing. They just roll out Chrome and, and say, okay, here it is. Go update. At least you get the button in your browser that gets increasingly angry at you. The, increasingly you, amber and red, yeah. Yes. As you were mentioning that it's hard for system administrators to even keep track of all of this, that there's so many info streams, some you know on Twitter, some through d different services. Why is it that way? The distributed nature of it feels like it's bad. <laughs> and yeah. the obvious question is like, why, why don't we have a single stream of information? We've never been able to standardize how we talk about vulnerabilities, and, and there's been several attempts to do it. I mean, the, the entire purpose of CVE, if you go back to the beginning of it, was simply because we couldn't agree on what to name things. McAfee called it one thing, and Norton and Semantic called it something else. And so we came up with CVE numbering just so that we would all talk about the same thing. And then we had different severity ratings, so we came out with CVSS. And we still haven't gotten to a point now where we can talk about vulnerability. There is a common vulnerability reporting framework, CVRF, which is an XML schema for doing bugs, but not everyone uses that. Not everyone subscribes to that. So there's never been any sort of standardization or any sort of organizational body that has really tried to bring all of these different streams together into something more usable for sysadmins. It's very interesting. I've often wondered that too. And I, I just don't know why there hasn't been a, a board, someone, probably some government or MITRE to step up and go, okay, this is how you should communicate your security patches, and to be ISO compliant, you have to do X, Y, and Z. And I wish someone else would do that because that sounds like a very difficult job and I would like to subscribe to it, but not implement it. Speaking of CVEs, which you brought up there, from my understanding, there's been a shift into how CVEs, like what qualifies as one in terms of whether it's right. like a group of related vulnerabilities or exploits, or if it's like a single one. Help me understand what's happening there. Well, CVE has always had this impression that it stands for one bug, but that's really never been the case. So one thing that we see at ZDI when we disclose bugs is we see multiple bug reports turn into a single CVE. So for example, I could report something in SAP, which we consider to be four unique bugs, but if they roll out one fix for it, according to CVE rules, that becomes one CVE. So that happens a lot, especially in the SCADA world where we reported like 50 Advantech bugs one month and those became three CVEs. And some people would say, well, that's not really a problem because it was one fix or whatever. But if I am a decision maker and I'm looking at a product or service, I want to see how secure it is. If I know that it's got 10 CVEs in the last 30 days, that might draw one conclusion. But if I knew that those 10 CVEs were actually originating from 100 vulnerability reports, it might cause a different sort of decision on the security of that product. So that perception there may be skewed because they're combining as many things they can into a single CVE and then somewhat hiding or obscuring the actual nature of the, the problem. It really doesn't show you how deep the security problems are in that code base. Speaking on 
perception, I think that's a good way to transition back into CVSS, Mm -hmm. which is that we might perceive that something that gets a score of 9.8 is like a all hands on deck. Uh, we have to roll out this patch right now, but like a metaphor, something that we talk about at Malwarebytes is that um, like ransomware, right? Ransomware is an existential threat. But yes. if you look at the number of detections of malware globally, it is not in the top 10. There are millions, if not hundreds of millions of other things that are popping up, things like adware, things that are nuisances. But you should spend more time on ransomware <laughs> um, because that's the existential threat. And I bring that up to try and understand if CVSS, is it missing something in how it scores things? Well, to me, what it's missing is knowledge of how something is deployed. So for example, you could have something that's at CVSS 9.8, but it's in a system that's not connected to the internet. Now, you should be really sure of that because I've seen a lot of systems that were quote unquote not connected to the internet that got popped from the internet. But that's the sort of thing. It's like CVSS doesn't take into consideration the operational realities. Is this thing actually connected to the internet? Is it behind firewall? Uh, how? What other restrictions? It's only looking at this one particular bug and this one particular scenario, and it's trying to give you a rating on that. And then you, as the sysadmin or the operator, need to be able to take that score and apply it to what you're actually doing with that piece of software or that service to know that, okay, the base score is 9.8, the temporal score is this, but in my systems, it's actually this other number. And that could be higher or lower. For example, a CVSS 5.5 that's in something that's critical to my enterprise, like if I don't have this thing, I'm losing money by the minute. I'm going to treat everything in that system as pretty important. Maybe not an emergency response process for every patch, but I'm definitely going to be very concerned about even the medium and low bugs in that system. However, if I have a high system in something that's very well defended by other things and it's not critical, maybe I'm not going to care about that as much. I think it's become too much where we're focused on one number and we need to understand that that number is not the same number for everyone. Are there efforts to, because this is just introducing another problem as I'm like asking the question, but are there efforts to introduce a second number or like, are there efforts to communicate in a way that makes it more understandable for people who receive, who, you know, people who are looking at these scores? I'm just wondering, what's the response? I don't think people even understand right now that CVSS can change over time. I mean, we see bugs from when we purchase them to when we report them to the vendors for remediation to when they release the patch and then on to if they get exploited in the wild, we, we see that occurring as well. So we see everything from the lifespan and, and risk from a bug can change tremendously depending on where it's at in that life cycle. So that number, whatever you rate it, can change as well. And there are so many factors that can change that number too. I think people look at a number once and that's the number and and they don't understand that the number can change and they just look look at base score and they only look at base score. CVSS does have some functionality. The temporal score will change based on a bunch of other factors too. So I think people don't even realize that they should be looking beyond just the base score and looking at to 
is this important to my enterprise? You know, what is the exploitability? What are all these other questions that they have to ask themselves before they even decide whether or not they want to spin up emergency processes or completely ignore something at their own peril? I, I don't even know that that it's a problem enough that we've started to look at doing something better. We'll probably be shifting it more as we hit CVSS 4.0 and 5.0 down the road. As you said at the start here, right? We're, we're the three unders, right? And you said like yes. understaffed, under... Underfunded, under pressure. Yeah. All good in terms of like diagnosing what we're in. But I bring that up because like you said, it's on businesses to interpret these results in a way that applies to them, applies to their organizations. But because we are in those three unders, is that feasible? Well, most have decided that it isn't feasible for them and they've outsourced it either to third parties or best guesses. For most people, it probably isn't feasible, but it should be. It shouldn't be that hard to figure out which patch is important this month and and where they are and, and how fast they apply them. But now they have to go out and contract third parties, uh, not only to do patch management, but patch prioritization. It really isn't feasible the way things operate today for a lot of companies, unless they have a tremendous expertise in patching for them to do it themselves. They have to rely on a third party. And of course, the third parties have their own problems. Nothing's perfect. Uh, but yes, when you have to patch your patch management, that's always when it gets a little meta and entertaining. <laughs> you brought up there, right? Uh, very plainly, like it shouldn't be this hard, but it is today. And that makes me want to understand whether what we're seeing, is it a growing problem? Is it an expanding problem? And I think a, a way to kind of understand that from the first angle is just understanding your experience in this field. How long have you been interested in patching? Um, and just what is your experience in this field? I am far too passionate about patches and, and I will talk about them for a long, long time. I actually started out uh, at Microsoft in 2008 in January and the Microsoft Security Response Center. And they're the folks who do Patch Tuesday. So I used to be one of the people working Patch Tuesdays. And since 2008 to January, I, I worked that Patch Tuesday. That was my first one at Microsoft. I have worked every single Patch Tuesday except for two. One was for my sister's wedding and the other one was for federal jury duty and neither one of them would change the date. And, and I was very <laughs> put out by that. My sister was very impressed that I actually attended her wedding instead of Patch Tuesday. So, but, uh, I, so I've, I've been doing this for a while. I write a patch blog every month talking about Adobe and Microsoft patches. I've talked about patches for a long time. And the reason I'm so passionate about it is because every real study that comes out about the most effective thing you can do to protect your enterprise is apply the security patch. I know you've talked about it before on, on this podcast about how the security patch is out there. Why wasn't it applied? And then Petya happened and, and WannaCry. Those were patched bugs. You know, I buy zero days all the time, but they're very rarely exploited. What we see in the wild is things that are patched, but they just don't have the patch applied. And that's why they got compromised. So patching is incredibly important and it should be so simple to do. And that's why I get so passionate about it. That's why I can talk about it for a long time and know way too much about the history of patching and different things and the various versions of Microsoft update and Windows update and automatic update and Office updates. And those actually were all separate things at one time too. So you had to have multiple instances of the update client installed and turned on and configured 
Otherwise, you wouldn't get all the patches. So fortunately, we've improved since that. But yeah, we're still at a place where there used to be a concept at Microsoft where they tried to talk about we should install hot patching so that you don't have to reboot your system every time you apply a patch. Clearly, they abandoned that because we still are rebooting every single time. There are other vendors that are just as bad or equally as burdensome. I mean, the last time I updated my MacBook, I think it was like 1.6 gig update or something. It was huge. And that was just the monthly update. It's like, okay, well, that that's a lot. That's a lot of bugs. Let's install this patch and take the downtime. Some of the things that you mentioned earlier in the episode compared to, you know, that time, you know, like 2008, I believe is when you said mm-hmm. that your first patch yes. Tuesday. Um, some of these things clearly feel like new developments. And I say that as someone who has not worked a single Patch Tuesday in that capacity. Um, And I think of things like patches being announced on Twitter. Like, obviously, that's a new thing with the invention of Twitter. And it also feels like Microsoft, at least for one, removing executive summaries, Um, companies removing information. That is also new. What I'm trying to gauge here is like, which of these things that you've discussed are, I guess, new and growing? Well, the obfuscation of information is new. And again, like I said, some of that, it's the result of trying to go towards automation because again, resource constraints, whatever we can automate, the better. There's always been certain problems with the quality of patches themselves. Although that's something that we've seen kind of increase over the last couple of years as well. But to take you back like in 2010, I think I broke Norway once with the patch that I released. So that was embarrassing. Um, but it's a growing problem is what we're seeing. So, and you know, we buy a lot of bugs. We've published 1600 security advisories this year at ZDI right now, between 10 and 20% of the bugs we're buying are the result of broken patches. So patch quality has definitely decreased over time. Is that as simple as like the patch doesn't patch, you know, um, or like, is it that basic? Yeah. So the biggest problem we see is the, the patch not addressing the underlying issue. And, and we see this at pretty much from every vendor across the board. Some times we even see patches that are released that contain no code changes at all, which is astonishing to us. But that has happened before from multiple vendors too. Usually what happens is the patch fails to address the underlying vulnerability. So either we can evade the patch really quickly. What we're seeing right now is a trend of people taking an unauthenticated remote code execution, just slapping authentication in front of it and going, okay, well now it's fixed. Mm. Well, no, now it's just authenticated. It's the same bug. That's one of the things we're seeing too. So these placebo patches, these incomplete patches that we're looking at, again, it's across the board. So, and, and I've picked on Microsoft a lot, but I mean, I have examples from Oracle, from VMware, from Cisco, from Apple, from Google Chrome, from SolarWinds, from Avante Avalanche to Microsoft to HPE. There's tons of examples of this happening. And, you know, I had to cut down a lot of the examples out of my talk because it was only a 40 minute talk. It's like, I could go on for too long about all of these. So yeah, it's, it's definitely an interesting problem. And, you know, it's trend micro too. We've had our problems with patches as well. So I don't want to just stand in a glass house throwing rocks, but it's definitely an increasing problem. And I don't entirely know why we have some theories as to why the problem is getting worse, but Mm -hmm. it's very hard to tell because it is happening across the industry and it's just kind of, it's hard to believe. I'm glad you immediately brought up like, Hey, we're, we're trying to figure out 
what it is, because like you said, it's across the industry and just, you know, thinking out loud here, I assume these are the same things you folks have been thinking. Like one, there's more bugs than ever. It feels like, um, right. like reportedly, you know, there, there just are, yes. I keep saying feels like, but we have the data to prove it, you know? <laughs> um, yes. and yeah, we definitely and, have the data to back that up. <laughs> right. And also again, the three unders. And I wonder if they're just colliding and I don't know, it feels too simple, but it's just such a burning question. I want to know why. Well, I think one of the reasons, at least it's top of our mind, is companies just are not committed to sustained engineering and response. It's more fun. Everybody wants to release the product. Nobody wants to support the product. Unless you're charging for patches, there's really just no money in patches. We're not voting with our wallet to go, okay, well, these people patch less. These people patch better. So... We've just kind of grown used to this idea that patches are bad and we need to invest in third-party solutions just to handle the bad patches rather than holding vendors accountable for it. So the vendors have disinvested in that sustained engineering. And as an engineer, I know it's always fun to work on the new shiny thing rather than to support the old legacy thing. But the old legacy thing is the one that we're all using. So it still has to have support. We've also seen a lot of companies kind of get rid of their QA testing. So as DevOps has spun up and as DevSecOps has spun up, more of the developers are doing their own testing rather than having a separate QA department, especially a QA section that focuses on security patches and real security, because those folks are, are very difficult to find and uh, are golden when you get one of them, because they act actually have to understand not only how the software works and test that, but they have to understand the implications of the security bug itself and know that, uh, okay, well, just changing this one thing doesn't actually fix the underlying problem. It just breaks the proof of concept code that we were given by the researcher. So we need to go back and actually fix the bug. Those people are hard to come by and they typically tend to be pretty expensive. So a lot of times companies will just get rid of them and say, developers, you guys can test your own software from now on out. What could possibly go wrong? Right. And these without developers being trained in this, I assume they're like right. opening up a web tool and being like, yep, it's good. <laughs> and yeah, like a scanner. Like, and that's about it. My system rebooted. POC doesn't hit anymore. Good to go. Ship it. Yeah. You referenced something very off the cuff there, which is uh, unless you pay for patches. And yes, I've never paid for a patch, but I assume many businesses have. What's going on there? <laughs> so there are two reasons that you would pay for a patch. Uh, the first reason is that you're dealing with a very specialized industry like SCADA, industrial control systems, or you know that sort of thing where patches just are not available. You have to have a support contract to get any sort of support from the vendor. This concept of like with Microsoft, Adobe, Apple, just releasing patches to the public, it doesn't exist to them because they're in an industry where you have to pay for maintenance on your truck. You have to pay for maintenance on your HVAC. You have to pay for maintenance on your software too. So that's just another thing that you have to do for those systems. The other time what you would pay for patches is if you are relying on things that have reached the end of life. So for example, when I started at Microsoft, Windows NT was not really supported anymore unless you paid Microsoft a whole lot of money. They did not really want to do this, but they kept getting money from places that they said, yes, keep 
producing patches for Windows NT, and they would effectively double the price every year. And there were still companies that would just go, okay, we'll pay for those patches. We're not going to move off of this legacy operating system. We're not going to move off this legacy device. So if you're using something that is out of public support, which is completely understandable, you can't support everything infinitely despite what some people would believe, you can't support everything infinitely. So (laughs) if you're still using something that is out of public support, that's when you have to get a unique special support contract with that vendor and then hope that they will charge you enough money to still produce patches for that old thing that you just really need to upgrade instead. I wanted to come back to another example you gave, which is that you have seen a company say just outright, we do not publish public advisories on security issues. And Mm -hmm. where does that come from? Like, is it the same thing that like, we're not voting with our wallet, we're not punishing them by not purchasing their product? Like, it just seems like such a, um, like an ideology that like, was completely developed in a vacuum. And I don't know how, I don't know how someone gets away with that. Yeah, it was pretty unusual to us as well. And I think there's a perception with some vendors that any press or any public talk around security bugs will make them look bad. And that's really not the case to me. Having you know been around enough Patch Tuesdays, I know at the beginning of my career, we tried to correlate like stock price to the number of patches or whatever, it, not even claiming causation, we couldn't find any correlation. So I think that there are some companies and some people who think that any press about patches is bad for them. But really, when we were measuring press, we were getting better press on Patch Tuesday when we were fixing things than when the operating system folks were releasing a new OS. And they were not happy about that. They, they looked at our numbers and it's like, I don't get it. How can you get such big numbers when you're just fixing things? I'm like, because fixing things is good news. No one expects software to be perfect. At least no one today expects software to be perfect. But they just want things fixed when you find something. And going out and fixing it and telling people about it and saying, here's the ones you need to concern yourself with. By the way, this one has a special caveat to it that you need to take into consideration. Turns out people like that and they respond well to it. But not everyone believes that, especially not everyone in the PR industry, not everyone in the response business believes that talking about patches, just getting it out there and talking about them in in an open way is somehow bad They think you should just apply the patch. I'm like, yeah, that's actually not really helpful. I got to go test it 14 times first. And I need to know if I should spin up emergency response process. I, you know, just, just patch it. It's just kind of, well, it's said mainly by people who've never actually had to patch an enterprise. I, I think that's who came up with just patch it because it's just not very realistic for a lot of folks. We've had a guest previously who loathes, you know, just patch, you know, the, the term. She said the same thing. It's it's said by people who have never patched for an enterprise. Um, right. It doesn't work that way. To the folks who maybe are in PR and who are holding that opinion that you mentioned that like, oh, talking about patches is, is bad. I just want to invite them into like a thought experiment right now, which is like, imagine you live somewhere and your road, you know, like outside your home is just completely destroyed. Like it has potholes left and right. And then your city government says like, Hey, by the way, like five miles away, we created a new freeway. That's what's happening. <laughs> like, that's what I feel like what's happening is like, yeah, people like when things are fixed. It's yes. so obvious. <laughs> yes. I, and I applaud automation where, where, where you can find it. 
But sometimes you just need a person to stand up and go, okay, here's the story of this patch. Here's the story of this release. And it doesn't have to be a long story. It can be a short story, but just tell us what we need to know. Give us the, the cliff notes, you know, script notes version and great. See you next month. But finding folks who are ready to stand up and do that, especially in the industry, it's becoming increasingly difficult to find vendors who are really standing up and saying, this is a real problem. You should really go do this right now. Or, hey, this is a maintenance update. Do this as soon as you get a good chance to. And a lot of times that's really all we need. That and patches that don't break things and patches that actually fix the problem. But if we can just start with the, hey, this is really serious, get right on this, or hey, this is more of a maintenance thing, get to this when you can, or hey, this is just some nice things to have, do it at your leisure. If we can just get that, that'd be fantastic. Broadening out, because this is such a like a huge, like multifaceted issue. Like there's a lot of things going on. And just even in this interview, I felt like I've, like we've been juggling like 12 different balls, you know, like, but they're all still balls. Um, yes. I want to ask like, how do we fix it? Is there a way? Because so much of it feels, there's so many different reasons for all of them. And right. so it feels like uh, there's a lot of answers here, but yeah, just in a big way, how do we fix this? Well, I think the first thing that's going to have to happen for us to fix this is we're going to need a, a big company to step up and to say, I don't like the way this is working. And hopefully that'll happen before too long. I don't know who's going to do that, if it's going to be a Microsoft, a Google, an Apple, an Adobe, but we're going to need a leader and we're going to need people who are, as we've said, voting with their wallets. And we're going to need something to really change as far as that goes. Otherwise, we're going to end up where we end up with legislation or we end up with regulation and it's forced onto us by governments. We've seen this happen in other areas, whether it be HIPAA or GDPR. Imagine, you know, the EU decides it's going to take on patching. And if we don't get to a, a better place for ourselves, then that's where it's going to be. And I would prefer that we as an industry just correct the problems rather than have the legislation because the last thing I need is more acronyms in my life. And I just, I don't want to deal with that. And so is the, is the idea there that like one company is just so influential that it says like, we're doing like, let's say Apple does it. Let's say Apple mm -hmm. turns over a new leaf and says like, Hey, we're actually going to start revealing more information. Are other companies inspired by, by that? Or is it also like, what's the follow on? I think so. And if you look at in the past, there's precedent for this. You know, like you said, you started out at one time, there was no such thing as Patch Tuesday. Now there is. At one time, all of our phones had headphone jacks. Now they don't. So <laughs> you can have a, uh, a company lead the way, show positive results from it and have people follow. I don't think you're ever going to get everyone in line with that, especially the smaller companies that are putting up patches. But I think you can, if you get enough of the industry together and start to standardize it, then you have customers starting to expect it from everyone. And when customers expect it from everyone, they start demanding it from everyone. And then even the smaller vendors, the smaller software makers will start trying to fall in line and, and being like the Microsofts and the Apples and the Googles, because that's what people want and that's what people are buying. So I, I do think it will take someone big to step up and kind of lead the way in that and show positive results. And then perhaps everyone will follow along with that. I'm not entirely hopeful of that though. 
I had one last question. What was the last Patch Tuesday you worked? Uh, well, it was just uh, last week. Uh, and it was great. Uh, yeah, the last Patch Tuesday uh, was full of... We had four zero-day bugs and exchange bugs, and that's when I realized the uh, the exchange fix from last year for Proxy Shell was an incomplete fix. So that's pretty interesting. That's been out for a while now, and we've seen other exchange bugs come out. And yeah, the Proxy Shell patch was an incomplete fix. So uh, everything we spoke about is not theoretical, is what you're saying. <laughs> every That's right. Uh, and, and I can tell you, every patch Tuesday... Every time patches are released, uh, our researchers look at them and they are able to get around about 20% of them pretty quickly within 48 hours. And there are some of our researchers who uh, within an hour will send us an email saying, hey, I got around this patch and here's a new bug. And, and then we have to buy that again. So that's one of the reasons I talk about it so much, because we spend money on the same bug multiple times. And if we would just patch it right the first time, I would save some money for other stuff. <laughs> If only, you know? Yes, if uh, only. Dustin, thank you again for coming on today's show. Uh, you're very welcome. Thank you for having me. It's been a lot of fun. To our listeners at home, we'll talk to you again in two weeks. Until then, stay tuned and stay safe. And remember, you can read all our cybersecurity coverage on Mauerbytes Labs at mauerbytes.com slash blog. And please, if you like what you heard today, follow and review our show. Finally, our intro music is by Kevin MacLeod from Incompetech.com, and our outro music is by Woa from Unminus.com. Today's show was edited by Eric Johnson from LightningPod.fm. Thank you, folks.